If you want to, you can go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 16. It will be on the screen when we read it here in just a moment. But thank you for joining us for our second message in our sermon series in the Psalms this summer. It is, um, I've been really excited about this because <clears throat> this sermon series, I think, really can get to uh, the heart of kind of where we are as people. Like we're walking through Acts. I'll get to the thumb in just a minute so you can laugh for a second and see the big thumb. But all right, uh, we'll get there in a second. But when we're in Psalms, I mean, when we're in Acts, it's like so mission focused and so heavy pushing, like, let's go share, share, share. And I think we oftentimes can get caught up like lost in that and like, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, and now I'm worn out. And I think the summer of Psalms is like a good, all right, let's reflect on what God's doing and let's reflect on who God is and let it shape our hearts. And so uh, Psalm 16, you guys hear me quote Psalm 1611 often. It is like probably my go-to quote Psalm because it's in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like this concept that it's in his presence where joy is found is not just something though that we can just say and be like, okay, that's good, yeah. But like reality is, is that we chase so many things in this world, we try to find joy in so many things, but it's in his presence where we will be in complete joy. Like that just gets me. And it's like, yes, that's what I need to aim for. That's what I need to go for. And so Psalm 1611, though, you get to that point and that understanding by looking at the rest of the psalm. And I think we miss the beauty of the whole psalm by just knowing 1611. The whole psalm takes us to this moment. And so we're going to look at that, and it's such a beautiful picture. I love it. And I think it's to kind of get us in the right frame of mind about this passage is if you guys ever... <clears throat> Have someone or something in your life that you don't realize how much it, you need it until it's gone. And you're like, man. And so this is so true. Like if Megan's ever out of town or if she's sick and I've like got all the kids, you know, by myself surviving, you know, just making it through the week. The, the dishes are somewhat clean sometimes, you know, and it's just like hunker down, survive. Like I need Megan in my life and I need her to help around the house a lot because I'm not really good at that stuff. She's great at that, you know. She is awesome. She keeps a great home. And so when she's gone, I miss and need realize my need for her so much more. Reality is is this passage is like that. We miss what's really great about it because we don't look at it. And Psalm 16, 1 through 10 is really going to shape us today. And so what we're actually going to see is that he gets to the point of joy because he's dealing with fear. He's dealing with something heavy is on him. He's dealing with this fear that's coming for him. And it leads to him finding joy in God. And fear can be good. It can be bad. There can be good, healthy fear. I experienced that yesterday. I had bad fear in the sense of I didn't fear the knife, and it got me. And then the funny thing was, Chance got a healthy fear instilled in him, because I'm in the middle of this, I'm, we're butchering a cow, this is how this happened here, and so we're butchering a cow, I'm at like a socket, and I'm trying to get in there and cut away a ligament, 
to, so that it will fall apart and like make it easy to work. I'm in there and I'm on a bone just going and it slips and because I couldn't get it, I'm like this doing something. And so I put my hand up there to hold it tighter and then poof, just get myself. I mean, I got myself good too. So Chance goes around while I'm like cleaning myself up and he starts doing it. He gets there and he, and he realizes, he looks at his head and he's like, oh, never mind, let's do this. And I was like, look at you, you got it, dude. Like, but that's a healthy fear. Like I see this dummy over here with this bandage on his thumb. I don't want to be that guy. So... Fear can be good, but I think fear in our world is often debilitating. We let it control and consume, and it takes over, and it's not that we like, learn from it and grow through it and are aware of things, but it just controls us and weighs us down, and we get to the point where we're stuck in bed and we don't want to move because of the fear of all these things, and it can be from death to driving a car to anything. Like, uh, I remember I was so afraid to drive a car after I had a wreck in the summer of uh, 05 because I hit, I didn't hit, I was in the passenger seat, but I hit the window with my head, and I thought anytime someone was breaking in a car that we were about to have a wreck just because of this, I had like this PTSD moment of like, ah, slow down, we're going 25. And like, I'm going to hit this window again. Like I couldn't ride in a front seat for a really long time my senior year of high school because of that. Like it messed me up. But I say that to say we have all these things that bring fears into our lives that can cause us not to be able to live. They're debilitating. And what we'll see in this psalm about David and in fear is that God wants us to not live in fear, but to find joy in Him. This passage is about how we can find joy in Christ rather than living in fear. So that's my prayer for us today. Let me pray and then we'll read Psalm 16 together. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this passage. And Lord, I just ask that You use it to shape us, that we can handle our fear appropriately like David does, that we can respond how you would have us respond, and Lord, we can see you as you deserve to be seen, and Lord, respond to our fears, and respond to the circumstances of life in the right way, and let it be in your hands. God, we thank you for your grace and your love. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Psalm 16, we will read the whole psalm, but let me begin, it says, a mictum of David. So a mictum of David, uh, the word mictum is actually not really known what that, uh, we don't have the exact definition of that word. And so it's actually just a transliteration from uh, the Hebrew. It's, they just kept it together because we're not exactly sure what it means. But based on references and other things, the idea of the word is it has a connection to like being golden and of high value and so like you connect it and what they've done with it is they kind of say the best description of it is probably like a, a golden song meaning like a song that you want to hold on to a song that you want to repeat often a song that you want to like you know you have that one jam of your life type song that is like oh, yeah that's my song and I'm gonna sing it all the time that's it defines me like that that's what this should be though not some rock song that you, you know, blare when you're, you know, going down the road, you know. But 
This is the song that David's talking about, the golden song for your life. So let's read uh, 1 through 11. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. <clears throat> the sorrows of those who run for, after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my cho chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So today I hope to give you a deeper appreciation for this passage. But I hope that God will give you a confidence in Him. That you might not fear but find joy in Him. So we don't live in fear when, first point, we declare the truth about God. When we declare truth about God. Psalm 16, 1, he says... Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So this word preserve is like to keep, guard, keep me from something. So this stems, this whole passage stems from David worrying and be, being fearful about something in his life. Like, preserve me, keep me, God. David's asking to be rescued for something that's not been revealed yet, but we already read it, but it's down towards the end of the passage, so we'll get there. No spoilers yet. I'll tell you what it is. But notice the connection between his declaration about God, about what God is for him, and his petition. You can see it in the relationship between verse, the first part of verse 1 and the second part. He says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Preserve me because I take refuge, refuge in you. I declare that you are my refuge in my life. Therefore, preserve me. Like, you're my place where I'm going to go, so take hold of me. Keep me, because you're capable of it. David is declaring what God is for him as the grounds or the reason that he hopes God will preserve him. That he, see, he seems to be doing this throughout Psalm 16, 1-8 or so. He's declaring who God is as a way of strengthening his hope in God and that God will preserve and take care of him. He's saying who God is, the truth about who God is, so that he can have confidence and know God's going to take care of him. So the question I have for you is, I have three different little mini questions. Can we declare he is our refuge? Church family, can you today declare that he is your safe place? When you are struggling, when something hits, when the things don't go the way you're hoping, where do you turn? I want you to think. When things like bad day happens, and the things that like, you know, just frustrate you, where do you turn? When you get the bad news about a family member, where do you turn? When the car breaks down, 
Where do you turn? Where's your hope? Where's your refuge? Where's your safe place? Because most of the time, it's not probably to our Lord. We turn to a friend. We turn to music. We turn to the bottle. We turn to things to give ourselves comfort rather than the Lord. I want us to think, what is our thing that we turn to? Because is it, if it's not immediately, God, I need you to work. God, you're my hope. I'm not going to hope in these things. I'm going to hope in you. You're turning to a different idol. You're making something else an idol that can't hold and preserve you. It, can't, it won't be your refuge. It may be a place you hide for a time, but it will never protect you completely. Secondly, can we declare He is our treasure? Psalm 16.2 says, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from You. You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from You. This is twofold. It's a personal, I have no good, and it's also an outward. There is nothing good in this world apart from You. So there's nothing good in me it's only what you offer. It's only who you are living in me that is good. But it's also an outwardly. There is nothing good compared to who you are, Lord. Nothing compares to how great you are. There is no good apart from you. Psalm 73, 26. Similar. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want to ask, church family, do we delight in other things are we trying to find joy in life and things that this world offers or is it in Him? Is He the refuge? Is He our treasure? Psalm 16.3 As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight? When it comes to the world around Him, David's saying that the people of God bring pleasure to His life because they are seeking the same thing. I want you to think. He doesn't mean that his delight is in how great of a people they are. Like, oh, Seth is so good. My joy in this world is because of Seth. No, it's, I love you, Seth. <laughs> it's God and what God is doing in him. And that we are a community that he talked about earlier, a covenant community that cares and loves. And we're all on this mission together to bring glory to our King. And it's not that he hates godless people. He just means that, that he doesn't find delight in the things that they do and in their godless ways. Only the godly who pursue God are the ones who he will find his joy in because he sees that they're on that same mission pursuing after our Lord. <clears throat> no other God will be his treasure. In Psalm 16.4, he goes a little bit further and says, The sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on, that, on my lips. So what he's saying here is really deep. It's really cool though. He, he values God so highly that he would not consider putting his worship on something else. He will not participate in any way in these people's pagan worship. So this talking about their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. And so this is their like pagan form of worship. And he's saying, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm not going to join them in their form of worship. 
whatever that looks like, because I have a God that is my treasure. And so much that I'm not going to participate in that, I'm not even going to speak their gods on my lips. I'm not even going to talk about them because they are so unworthy. They're so little. I want us to think, church family, how much do we entertain the worship of the world around us? How much do we entertain the worship of the world around us? Do we join in? Do we worship things that don't deserve our worship? And David says that those who worship another god, their sorrows are going to multiply. David will not fall into that trap. Psalm 16.5, he continues to go on. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Here he puts it this positive spin on it. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So it's not these negative things about worship anymore, but it's about how great our God is. In other words, think about this. If there are a hundred cups and feast on this table in front of him, God is the one he's going to choose. This makes me think of the uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, okay, I got someone else is with me. All right, the Indiana Jones, he has to choose the cup to be able to get past the test or whatever. And like, there's all these cups, and which one are you going to choose? He chooses the most meeble, humble cup or whatever, and that's the right one. Don't choose the really glamorous diamond one or you die like the dude did in the movie. But my point, that's what happened in the movie. But the thought is, if we had a spread of the favorite meals of all time, steak, chickens, uh, um, that's, that's mine, I mean, steak and chicken, <laughs> just steak and chicken, but I mean, salads, uh, all the great uh, side dishes, some amazing potatoes, you know, like you put it all out on the table, which one are you choosing? I'm choosing steak, one, and then I'm probably just eating steak if I have unlimited steak, like Texas Day Brazil, that's all I'm eating. Not doing the salad. But, I want you to think. If you have all the options on the table, is God the one we're choosing? All the things that the world offers. All the pleasures. If you could have all the money in the world, if you could go and spend, you know, have all the boats and yachts, if you could have all the big houses, you could go on all the trips, you could do all the things... If you could have all the dreams of every person on this planet laid out in front of you and you get to choose one of them, what are you choosing? David's saying, God's my chosen portion. He's the one that I treasure. Nothing satisfies, nothing nourishes, nothing sustains the way that my God does. He is my greatest good and my treasure of all treasures. So all this junk and all this fear in the world and all the things that can happen, these dreams, these ideas will not satisfy my soul. It's only when I get to my God that I will find my hope and pleasure in all of my treasure. So I want us to think like, if it's all laid out before us, church family, we're going to experience fear and really struggle with fear and deal with things and be, be having fearful problems and issues and be debilitated by it when our focus and what we treasure is the wrong stuff. 
And we'll see why here in just a minute. The third question we ask is, can we declare he is our sovereign Lord? In Psalm 16, 2, he says, I say to you, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David's saying here, Yahweh God, you are my Lord. Get the picture. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Like, you already know you're my Lord, but I'm going to tell you anyways, because I'm just letting it be known. Like, I'm submitted to you. You control my ways. You control my steps. Psalm 16, 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So that you hold my lot part. In other words, when the dice is thrown and the straws are drawn, whatever happens to us comes from the hand of God. God holds my lot. So think about this. When we get into fear and we get chasing things like that, it's typically because we're trying to hold our lot. We're trying to control our lot. We're trying to make it be what we want it to be. We're trying to say, I'm not satisfied with what you're throwing at me, God. What, what's coming my way, I'm going to then hide. But God wants us to trust Him and say, you are my God, you are my Lord, and the things that have been put before me are from your hand, and I'm going to trust you and know that you're sovereign. You can control, you can, like, the, the disciples, the early disciples, when they were choosing who was going to be uh, the, the disciple after Judas, they cast lots. Like, I want you to get... They trusted God so much that they, I don't want to say gamble because we have such a bad, it's like a derogatory term here in the South, but they simply said that a roll of the dice, it could be either of these guys, God, we don't know who it is, we trust in you with the roll of the dice. I'm not saying go out gambling today and say, all right, let's make some money. But I'm saying when it's, I don't know what God wants between these two good things. I'm just going to trust Him. I can trust, trust Him on all things, even the roll of my dice. Get the beauty of that. That's our God that we can trust. He is sovereign over everything. Psalm 16, 6, He says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Most of the time when we talk about the law, the lines having fallen in pleasant places, we think of real estate like... I sold some homes and stuff and definitely comes to my mind, but it's not just that. This is actually talking about all things. No matter how my lot, lot can't speak. No matter how my lot falls, no matter where my lines may be in my life, I have an inheritance that is beautiful. I'm being gifted something that is better than I deserve. Just to wake up and have breath is more than we deserve. Because we are a sinful people. We are people who have run from God. We try to do all types of sin to dis disobey Him. We run from His authority. We don't trust in Him. We choose to sin. We choose to go our own way. We continue going down this path and guess what? He still loves. He still shows grace. And He wakes us up every single day, giving breath to our lungs more than we ever deserve. And we take it for granted. And He's saying, no matter where my lines may fall, I have a beautiful inheritance reserved for me because God has a plan for my life. He's leading me somewhere. And we're going to get there in just a second. 
Can we declare those things about our God, though, church family? Can we say He is my refuge? I don't go and lean on other things. I don't find my hope in something else. Is He our refuge? And then is He my treasure? Is He my ultimate treasure? Is He the thing that if I had all options on the table, I would choose Him? And then do we recognize that He is sovereign over all things in our Lord? When we can declare that, (laughs) those three things are heavy. A lot to wrap our minds around. When we can get those things, then we can gain confidence in our God. And that's the second point. The second point's a lot shorter, so you don't have to get worried. Like, first point's a little bit longer, second point a little shorter, third per, third's a little bit longer than the second. So, just be prepared. We gain confidence in God when we can declare the truth about who God is and be reminded of Him. So, he spent these seven verses exulting God and claiming who he is. And then it transforms to a confidence in verse 8. What begins as an aching longing, preserve me, becomes affirmation and confidence. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Like, he goes from... I need you to preserve me in verse 1 to in verse 8. I am not going to be shaken because of who my God is. Get the difference. Like, the mood has changed in seven verses. I'm scared. I'm fearful, Lord. But you are these things. Now I'm confident. Like, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm bold. and Like, he changes drastically. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Rarely do we begin with pure confidence. We have to ask for help. We declare what He is for us and we can proclaim that with power because our God is faithful to do what He said He's going to do. And I want you to think, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just kind of weird. But have you ever noticed like when we're singing... That first song we come into, we're singing, and it's like, and then, all right, this is who our God is. We start singing about how great He is, and it starts clicking a little bit. Brain, heart, start going, working together. And then the anthem gets a little bit stronger. We're a little bit more willing to sing it. And it's like, all right. And I don't think it's just a a musical groove thing that's happening on us, and we're like, all right, now we're going to dance a little bit. No, but it's like a, a realization of our God is good. Yeah, we're singing this. He is amazing. Let's sing. Oh, oh yeah, here we go. And then we start ramping up when we sing because we're realizing that this is our God. This is what we're singing about. And all the stuff of the world that we're bringing in with us, all the struggles from this past week start kind of like getting aligned to with who He is. We're like, okay, yeah, this is happening, but God is worthy of worship. This is happening in my life, but He's my refuge. I can hope in Him. I can lean on Him. And it it starts shaping. And we start being able to see things. And we start growing in our confidence in who our God is. And I just want to give a side note, though. We, as we worship, should be singing out the truth about God. Like, the point of us doing worship together, the point of worship like we do here, 
is not to have an intimate moment by myself and say, I worship this morning. I spent time with you, God. But it's ultimately this whole body, everybody in here, coming to, and check, uh, Ethan and I have talked about this a decent amount. Like, the goal in, <laughs> so don't get awkward if this is what you're starting to experience some, but like, uh, Ethan and I have talked about this. It's not so that he can, he, his job is not to have, to like close his eyes and worship in front of you guys to teach you how to worship. Okay? His job is to lead us to worship God. And so his job is to encourage us like, hey, this is our God. I'm connecting eyes with you, Blake. Our God's good. Yeah, don't you believe this? Don't you believe this? Don't you believe this? This is our God. Like, yes, let's go. Our God's good. It's not like just so that he has an intimate time. And even worship for you in the audience is not to say, I have my intimate only, I'm by myself moment. No, you can have that in your car. You can have that in your quiet time. You can do those things. And there's moments when you'll say, I need to reflect and talk to you, Lord. And that's good. But we're doing this together. And corporate worship is corporate worship. It has the word corporate to it because it's all of us. And we're singing it together and we're claiming these things together to remind one another of our need for our Savior. How great He is. Because we get, when we're on our own, what happens? We get in that spirally trap of fear and anxiety. And we go and we get stuck and we get stuck and we get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. We keep building on it and keep building on it. And what we need is our church family to come beside us and remind us of who our God is. And so that's the point of worship. We come and we draw in close to our God, but we encourage our church family to do the same. Sorry for the side note. Let me find my place again. I think we are hindered and deterred by fear because we forget who our God is. We forget what He's done for us. And this needs to be our petition on a daily basis. Preserve me, O God. I have an unshakable confidence, though, because of who you are. Because of what you've done in my life. And I'm not going to live in fear, but I'm going to live in joy because of what we find in the next part. We don't live in fear. We find joy in God. Last point, we find joy in God. See how David changes the psalm from needing to be preserved to joy and gladness here. Verse 16, 9 through 11 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Get the beginning of it. The therefore is therefore a purpose. That was dumb, Joe. I can't believe you just said that. Like, I felt so weird saying that. And it came out. It just couldn't, I couldn't help it. The therefore is there because it has a purpose. There we go. I didn't do the four with it that time. All right. The therefore is there because it's trying to transition us. Because of this, because of who God is, and because I've gained a confidence in Him, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Think about that. Your whole being rejoicing. What does that mean? Do we ever get there? Where every bit of me, my feelings, 
my excitement, my direction, my vision, my hopes, everything is rejoicing. Everything about me is rejoicing because of who my God is. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices and my flesh, it dwells secure. Get this, church family. David was realizing a truth that is hard to get through to our brains. It's in His presence. It's in when we know who He is. Is when we get joy. It's not in the stuff that this world offers. His heart is glad and His whole being rejoices and His flesh dwells secures. He's realizing that he's talking about all aspects of who we are, the physical and the spiritual. Every bit of him rejoices because he knows his God. Do we know our God? Do we spend time with Him? Are we drawing in close? Because if we're not, we're not going to have joy. We're not going to be confident in Him. And we're going to be fearful. We're going to be hung up and debilitated by these things of life when we don't walk close to Him. And we get to see David's source of fear here. Preserve me from what? Verse 10 tells us. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Sheol here is the understanding for them is the abode of the dead. So it's just this idea, you're not going to abandon me to death. You're not going to let me die. You're not just going to throw me into my grave and be done with me. There's something more. There's more to this life than just the present. You're not just going to get rid of me now and you're not going to let me rot for eternity. David's saying, I don't want to die at the beginning of this. I'm fearful of death. And you guys know David's story. He had people pursuing after him. He had armies after him. I mean, he was constantly under attack. People coming and coming and coming, trying to kill him. And so David's fearful of death. And I think this is probably true for many of us. Like, ultimately, it's the worst thing this world can throw at us. And I've talked about this often. Like The worst thing that this world can throw at us is death. But Paul tells us that then gives us our God. We get to go from death and immediately be before our Father. And he says, great joy is that. <laughs> like, think, church family. Like We go from the corruption and the fear and the junk of this world and the worst thing that the earth can throw at us, the worst thing that the the sinful people around us, the worst thing that this world can do to us is send us to our King. And so my soul can rest and dwell secure. Because even though you can chunk me into a river, you can stone me to death, you can do whatever you may want to do to me, you're going to take me to my King, my greatest joy. So guess what? You're the loser, I'm the winner. I get to be with Jesus. So think, church family. <laughs> Are we there? Are we there where like you would say, I'm willing to die right this moment. 
kind of want to, if God would see it be that way, so that I could be with Him. Like, that would be great. Are we there? And the reason why I wouldn't say that's the end goal only, because God has a mission for us. He's given us, He wants us to live, He wants us to continue, He wants us to share. And so I want to bring Him pleasure, I want to bring Him joy, and that's a part of my mission right now. But in the end, no matter what may happen in life, no matter what may come, would I say I'm satisfied with getting just to stand before Him? Because if we're not, we're missing all of the first half. He's not our treasure. He's not the thing that we would choose of all of the foods. He's not our refuge. He's not our place of hope. And so those things aren't lining up. If, if we would say at death, I'm kind of fearful. Because reality is, I mean, obviously I don't want pain. I cut my finger, I'm a pansy. Like, it hurt, it still hurts today. Like, I don't want pain. Like, okay. But ultimately, the fear of death, like leaving my family and leaving the loved ones and all of those things that go heavy, the biggest fear of this world can offer us, still it leads us to our King. When we have a right shape and a right understanding of what this world throws our way, we don't live in fear, but we live in worship and enjoy. <clears throat> and I want you to see, though, the beauty of this passage doesn't just lie in this passage. This beauty, the beauty in this passage lies in a sermon that was preached many, many years later in Acts 2 by Peter. I'm going to read Acts 2. 25 through 32. The second half is really the part that sets it into stone. But for David, say, uh, let me read 25 and we'll read through it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Doesn't that sound familiar to our passage today? Yes, because that's what he's quoting. But here, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor to his flesh flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses David's joy hear this this is not some commentary speaking guys this is not Joe's reference this is Peter saying what David knew what David meant in this psalm he's saying David was hoping in the coming Messiah who would save our souls church family Get excited about this knowledge. Get excited about this truth. David was not saying, just, you're going to take care of me and I'm going to live a good life on this earth. But he was saying, God, I look forward to the promise that you've given me that there is a Messiah who's going to come from my family, from my lineage, and He is going to be the one who saves the world. 
He's going to be the one who takes away sin and conquers death and frees us all. That's the beauty that David was hoping in. David was looking forward to our Messiah. Church family, we have the Messiah. We know about Him. Can we not find joy in this earth? Find joy on this earth knowing that we have a Messiah who's died for us who we are longing forward to seeing. Church family, there's a song by Shane and Shane that is Psalm 16, and it does a really good job of psalming, uh, summing this up. I played it for you guys about a year ago from now, from this moment, but I'm going to read just this portion. He's quoting the passage. He says, My heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My flesh it dwells secure because you put on flesh. And so look, get this beautiful thing. He's replacing the, the passage, the part that uh, David uh, is talking about like I'm not going to see corruption and they put in the story of Jesus it says my heart is glad my soul rejoices my dwell my flesh it dwells secure because you put on flesh you lived a blameless life my curse on the cross you bore then you ripped the doors of the city of death and the chains fell to the floor now the serpent's crush it has been finished and you reign forevermore it's in his presence we are completely satisfied and we find our joy because Jesus has conquered sin and death Jesus has given us a hope we have eternal life and so I'm going to end with this, church family. He has brought eternal life to us. And you guys, I want us as a church family to get this. God changed my thoughts on this about five years ago. It, fi- it hit, and I was like, oh my goodness. So we sang John 3.16. We talk about eternal life. Eternal life is not just forever life. Not that we're just going to live for eternity. Like, we die, but we're going to keep living with Jesus. That's not what eternal life is only. That's a part of it. Eternal life, though, is talking about not just a length of time, but a depth of life. Okay? So it's eternally deep and eternally long. And so eternal life starts now, church family, for us, for people who have trusted in Jesus. Eternal life is now. We can experience fullness of joy at his right hand right now and so the reality of this for us is this we get caught up living life right now going from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure seeking one pleasure to another pleasure god has given us eternal life now you can have eternal life now you should as a believer have eternal life now but what we do is we We give in to the small idols and we don't experience full life in Jesus because we chase that stuff rather than Him. So church family, today, you can have eternal life now. He wants that for you. You have access. And it's through your faith and trust in Jesus that you've received life. It can begin now. It doesn't just begin at death. It's not just the length of time. The greatest joys of life. You can have the best life now. I'm not talking about having the cars, the money, but you have Jesus now. Church family, let's not live as a people that are mad and anxious and bitter and junk like that. Let's live as a people who know our Savior, who walk with Him and have joy, a smile on our face and excitement to see the world, excitement to go forth because we have a King who has given us life and given us hope. Let's live like it. Let's have joy. Let's be excited about our King. And let's take it to the world.
Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for our Savior, Jesus. And I ask that you would help us recognize eternal life. Lord, help us see that we can have life in fullness of joy at your right hand right now because we have you. We have your Spirit. Lord, may we live in it. Father, I ask that you would work and you would move. Lord, that we would not be satisfied with just little, little glimpses of You and little moments with You. But Lord, may our lives be eternally lived from this point forth with You as our treasure, with You as our joy. And God, may You remove the fears of this world. Because, not because they're not there anymore, but Lord, because we've submitted them to You. Lord, do a work in our hearts Lord, help us seize you as you deserve to be seen. May you receive the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church family, we're going to have a time of response now. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to be in the back if you would like to respond by coming and praying with me, having a discussion with me, whatever that might look like. I'll be over there in the connection corner area. But this is a moment to respond, church family. Like, if there's idols... If, if God has pointed out something that you treasure more than Him, surrender it today. Deal with 